0: Last weekend on the book of Galatians, and about two or three times a year, we felt like the Lord is leading us to uh, take just a book of the Bible and kind of walk through it and uh, apply it to our lives and pull out, you know, the truth of God's Word and what uh, these people wrote down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so that's what we're doing in this season right now for six weeks leading up to Easter. And uh, today's going to be Galatians chapter 2, but last week uh, we talked about a few things and we learned that... You know, the purpose of Galatians was Paul writing to, to correct some wrong teaching. So we know that Paul has, has been there, he's planted churches, he's preached the gospel. He has uh, just left and then false teachers came in right behind him and they're uh, trying to get these new believers to believe that there's got to be more to uh, this than what Paul told you it can't just be as simple as faith in Christ and what he did but there are some things that you have to do and be a part of so that you can truly be saved and so Paul is writing to correct those things and last week a few things that we said was that Christianity and the gospel is not something that you want to trade in for a cheaper substitute that may over promise but can never really deliver and I want to speak to this because uh, last week I gave uh, I was I was in a, a message thread with a few people and I said this might have been the most effective um, illustration or or thing that I have shared um, in five and a half years of this church's existence and that was with all of the off-brand things last weekend oh, and I just want to clear the record all right I was making a point I had some people and they were like hey man you've been to our house and we just have like off-brand stuff and I'm like listen. It's fine. If you come to our house, we were talking about this this last week. If you come to our house, come on, you're going to see some off-brand cereal and some off-brand chips and all of these things. We are not afraid of off-brand, all right? It was the it was the point that I was making that you don't want to trade in what is best for what is a cheaper substitute, especially when it comes to grace and legalism in that area. So, I just wanted to clear the air. Come on, everybody 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 good on that, all right? Um, it was, it was funny because this last week, just in this message thread that I was in, uh, there were pictures, you know, pictures of like off-brand cereal that were popping up and, you know, these different things, and, and, uh, and it was a good time. But just wanted to let you know, um, we do have off-brand stuff, so uh, it, was the, it was the point of the matter. Uh, a few other things we said, when you live to please God, you will, you will be led to love people well. And we said that the source of what you believe really does matter. And I want to encourage you to keep reading through. If you didn't do it this last week, come on, every every day of the week for six days, Monday through Saturday, we're reading a chapter in Galatians, and then we're coming together on Sundays, and we're talking about it and and looking at it together. Uh, But if you haven't jumped in on that, it's not too late. Don't feel condemned. Just jump in this week and begin reading. Come on, tomorrow, read Galatians 1 and every day of the week, and you'll read through the book of Galatians four or five times while we're going through this series. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. He can speak to you the same that he can speak to me or anybody else that's sitting around you that you think he speaks to. He can speak to you, and as you read his word, he wants to speak to you through his word. So we're going through that, and I would encourage you to jump in. And so today we're looking at Galatians chapter two. And back in chapter one, Paul has told us that uh, he's told us that the truth he was preaching came directly from God. We know that uh, he he did he spent three years not meeting with anyone and uh, just kind of went to a couple different places. Uh, He didn't meet with anybody that walked with Jesus after this was revealed to him. Uh, Paul then meets Peter and James. And then Paul, as we jump into chapter 2, Paul jumps 14 years ahead. And so I want you to kind of know where we're heading today. And this is what he says in the first two verses of Galatians chapter 2. He says, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. So Paul's asking this question and he goes back and says, 14 years later I feel led to go back and so I I go back to Jerusalem and I want to meet with those that are considered to be the leaders of the church And he's wanting to share with them the gospel that he's been preaching. And he's wanting to make sure that they are in agreement. Hey, I want to make sure we're all preaching the same thing. We're communicating the same thing. That we're keeping the main thing the main thing. And I don't believe that Paul was necessarily wanting to know that everything in their lives and everything in their minds and all of these things agreed. Uh, I think that he was wanting to make sure that they were in agreement with the gospel that they were preaching to everyone. And there was this desire to make sure that the main thing, which is Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, that we are only saved by grace through faith in Jesus, that that was in agreement, that we are communicating the same message, whether it's to the Jews or the Gentiles, we're all one. Jesus has, has done what needs to be done. We're all a part of one body now, and he wants to make sure, hey, are we in agreement? And here's what I've discovered in, uh, in my years of following Jesus and, and uh. And, and, and doing life with other believers and pastoring and all of these things, that, that there are two things. I think that there are some primary issues in our walk of faith, and I think there are some secondary issues in our walk. And so there are some things. How many of you know that the gospel of Jesus is a primary issue? That we need to agree on the fact that we are only saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that there's not anything that we can do to earn it, or make it happen that Jesus already did it all but there are also some secondary issues that if you were to read something in your bible and I was to read something in the same you know in the same context or the same verse or whatever that we might have a difference of opinion That you might get something out of that that I'm like, well, I feel like it kind of means this. And it doesn't mean that either one of us are necessarily wrong. I do believe that the word of God is the absolute truth and that God is trying to communicate something through his word. But that there are, I think sometimes we get caught up in secondary issues and things that, well, I believe this and you believe that and you believe that and we don't agree on this. And what we need to make sure is that we all agree on the main thing that there are some other things that we might not necessarily agree on theologically other than like Jesus is the one and only Son of God who came and lived a perfect sinless life, gave His life, laid it down for us. He's the only way to the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, that it's only by His blood, only by His grace, only by placing faith in Him that we are made right with God. It's a primary thing that we have to make sure we understand. The reality was that these believers were being taught something that had been added to the gospel. And the thought these teachers were planting in these believers' mind was that faith in Jesus was good, but that there was also certain things that they had to do to be able to be saved. And so Paul is saying, you just need to place your faith in Jesus. These teachers come in behind Paul and they're making the the point that, no, that's really good what Paul said. But come on, you've also got to do this because we know the right way and we know all the law and we know all the rituals and all the religious things that we are supposed to be doing and taking part of and things that need to be done. And Paul is writing to correct and say, no, it's only by the grace of God. It's not by anything that you do. That you're saved. And so Paul was confirming that they were all in agreement with this gospel message so that they could impact the world with this message. And then we pick it up in verse 3, and he goes on, he says, And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Have you ever had a you ever had a friend or a co-worker or your spouse or something and they had a meeting and you wanted to know what happened in the meeting, right? They had a meeting and I just want to know the information and I love that Paul lets us in on what happened in the meeting. He gives us a little bit of detail as to what happened in the meeting and uh, and this is some of the things that these are some of the things that we discover. We know that Titus is with Paul, but we discover here that Titus is not a Jew, right? You know, and Paul would write in other places in your New Testament that you know he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was born a Jew, and he did everything that he was taught that he was supposed to do. He's persecuting the church, and you no, know, we've got to do all these and fulfill all these regulations and all of these rules. But we find out here that Titus was not that; that he did not grow up jewish that he was actually a gentile and he has not done everything that jews would have done as a part of their custom and so apparently uh, paul makes the point and he says the only reason we were talking about in this context they were talking about the the thing that was circumcision which set apart god's people right it was the outward sign which today we would we would consider that water baptism would be the outward sign. It's the, the, the dying to yourself and being raised to life. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But Paul is saying that there, the only reason that we were even having to have this conversation, that this was even brought up, is because there were some false believers who snuck into the meeting. Right? Like, I just got to be a part of this meeting. And I can just imagine them, they're sitting at the back and all the leaders of the church are meeting and Paul's talking about, you know, like, this is what I'm preaching, this is what I'm preaching, yeah. Okay, we're in agreement and these guys are in the back like, hey, what about, what, what about this? What about this? And he says that they came to the conclusion that Titus did not need to do all of the things that they were trying to make him do because he was a Gentile and not a Jew. And so we see this happening in the meeting, he says that they sneaked in and their goal was to take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Their goal was to try to put regulations and rituals on us and enslave us with these things that we would have to do and follow in order to be saved. But we refused to give in to them, come on! I hope there's some people at church today that will refuse to give in to the lie that you have to earn your way to heaven, and you have to earn your, and you have to go to church a certain number of times. You got to serve so many times, and you got to do this so many times, and you got to know so many Bible verses. And all of those things are good, but that is not the foundational thing. That is not the foundation of your faith. And I was asking the question: What is it that enslaves us and takes away our freedom? As a believer, I think it's trading in grace for legalism. Listen, and there are some of us that grew up in grace-based homes. Come on, the way that you were raised has a lot to do with what you believe about God in a lot of ways. And some of us were raised in grace-based homes and some of us were raised in legalistic homes. To where everything had to be done, like, we have to make sure we're there, we have to do this, we have to do that. Like, we're we're trying to make sure that we are right with God. We just got to keep our lives right with God. Listen, you can't keep your life right with God apart from the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us and covers us, all of our sin, past, present, and future. That's what makes us right with God. But there are never enough good things you can do to earn God's approval. And the gospel isn't based on how many times you come to church, even though that's a good thing, and you need church. You need fellowship. You need community. You need those things in your life, but that's not what the gospel is based on. The gospel isn't based on how many Bible verses you know. How many of you know that the devil knows the Word? Just because you've memorized 37 Bible verses doesn't make you a Christian. It's by placing your faith in Jesus. That makes you a Christian. And these things are good things. And we need these things in our life. But they are not the foundation of our faith. It's not what makes us right with God. The gospel isn't based on any of those things. The gospel and the freedom we receive is all about what Jesus did for us. Not anything that we can do. And God has plans and purposes for us. That he's planned in advance for us to do. But doing all of the right things isn't the foundation. And then Paul goes on verses 6 through 10. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. The first thing I notice in this section of Scripture is how Paul points out that God has no favorites. And I felt like this was important for us to highlight for just a moment because some of us feel like we're less than and God can't use us like he can use somebody else. And I think that God gives us grace to do certain things, that there is a purpose for your life, that God has given you the grace to do certain things. But God is not playing favorites. God is not saying, well, I want to use this person, but I do not want to use this person. And well, this person just doesn't have the talent that this person has, and all of these things. Like, like God, and I love that he says, like, I looked at them, and it's in parentheses in this translation. He says, by the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. In other words, I am willing to be used by God. I have submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and I am willing to be used by God, and God will use me. He's not playing favorites and saying, well, I can't use you because of your past. No, your past, when you put your faith in Jesus, is under the blood. And God wants to use you to reach people and to spread the good news of Jesus to others. You can be used. You just have to be submitted to Jesus and willing. If you're submitted to Jesus and you're willing, God will use you. God will use you. He's not playing favorites, right? The pastor is not more of a favorite to God because of what he does. Well, he must just be like God's favorite. That's why he's called him to do that. No. I'm somebody who was willing. Hallelujah. Come on. That was it. Like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What are you calling me to do? I'm willing. And I felt like this was the call that he put on my life. Amen. And if you are submitted to Jesus and you are willing, God will use you. He is not playing favorites. God desires for us to all know him For all of us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding and our relationship with him. And to go and make disciples. And this is our vision and you see it out in the lobby every single week when you come in. That we want people to know, grow and go. God wants you to know him personally. To enter into a relationship with him. And to grow in your understanding. To grow in wisdom. To grow in knowledge. To grow in your relationship with him. To grow in your faith. And that we would ultimately go and make disciples. That we would go and spread the gospel to all the world. And what does that look like? A lot of times it looks like you doing it in your part of the world. Your workplace. But this is what God desires for our lives. And this statement uh, in verse 6 in Galatians chapter 2, it reminds me of another statement that Paul made in Romans. And I want to read this. It's Romans chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. He says, There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Here's what I believe that this means for you and I. If we were to put it in our context today. Is that your social status doesn't change how sin affects you. How you were raised doesn't change how sin affects you. How much money you have or don't have, or how many, you know, like how good of a person you think you are, like none of that stuff changes how sin affects you. Sin affects us all the same way, but in the same way that sin affects us all alike, the grace of God also affects us all alike. That no matter what your background is, the grace of God is sufficient for you. No matter how you were raised, no matter if you've been a Christian for 30 years or for 30 minutes. It's the same grace that God gives you that he gives the other person. And he says, listen, it doesn't matter your social status, your background, none of those things change the way that sin affects you or the way that the truth of salvation affects your life. And whether Jew or Gentile, God desires for all to be saved. And no matter what race or nationality or upbringing, sin and doing evil, it brings one result. And doing good, following Jesus, it brings another result because God does not show Favoritism It's encouraging to me to know that God isn't playing favorites, that His grace and His mercy and His love it's available for every one of us. I want to read you a few verses here uh, in, this, in this thread for just a moment. Second Peter chapter three and verse nine says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. First Timothy two verses one through four. I urge you, for all, for of all, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone, somebody say everyone, to be saved and to understand the truth. God wants us all to come to faith in Christ. That's his desire. That's his plan. Paul goes on to explain that as a result of their meeting, he says that James and Peter and John, they recognized the gift that God had given him. And so they came to this conclusion. Here's what they said. They said, Paul's going to continue to preach and work with the Gentiles. And that we're going to continue to preach and work with the Jews. In other words, we're in agreement. We're preaching the same thing. We have the same message. We're preaching Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you are called, we agree, you are called to preach it and to work with the Gentiles. And we are called to preach it and work with the Jews. And together, we're going to work together so that we can reach all people for Jesus. And then after all this, Paul tells us a story about an encounter between him and Peter. Verses 11 through 14, he says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Does anybody remember, does anybody remember uh, like middle school and high school lunchtime? Anybody ever changed schools? Like at some point of that, or you went from middle school and you went into high school and it was a new school and you knew some people, but there was still like your it was something completely different. And I like the the lunch room experience in school. A lot of times is almost an experience of segregation. Like there's, you walk in and come on. Can, if you remember this, if you were nervous, like I I remember starting a new school. I was I was ninth grade freshman year. Brand new school, didn't know anybody there. And it's like, you know, you're walking in and it's just like this nerve-wracking thing because because everybody is kind of in their own groups. And so it almost feels like who I sit with is going to determine the next four years of my life. Like whoever I start making connections with is going to determine. And it almost gives us this picture of... Well, these people sit over here because they don't like what these people do and these are all of the athletes that sit here and they don't hang out with these people and these are all of the people over here that they're kind of mean and we really don't like them and so they're over here and so we sit over there and it's almost like who do I need to connect with and I believe this is the very thing that Paul is giving us an example of and saying that this is not the way that it's called to be because he says Peter has come to Antioch He's been here. There's been ministry happening. And and one one commentary that I was reading saying that these things were were most noticeable during mealtime. And so they would be doing ministry. They would be fellowshipping together. They would be preaching the gospel together. They're doing these things and they would sit down to eat. And it says that Peter was eating with the Gentiles. He was communicating with the Gentiles. He He was living his life in this way. He was ministering to them as long as the other people weren't there. So as long as the Jewish Christians who didn't believe that these Gentiles could just be saved by faith alone, as long as they weren't there, then Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles and doing ministry and eating with the Gentiles. But as soon as these Jewish Christians who were still convinced that, no, there are some things that you have to do to be made right with God other than just put your faith in Jesus, as soon as they showed up, it says that Peter, he kind of starts avoiding. It says that Peter was no longer eating with the Gentiles, and Paul is looking on and he says, this is not right. This is not right, what you're doing. And we're even given a little bit of insight into why Peter did this, right? It says that he was so concerned, he was afraid of what these Jewish Christians were going to think. I know that this is the truth and this is what God has done and that he's brought us all together and it's faith in Jesus Christ alone, but at the same time, these people don't think that yet. And so because they don't think that yet and they have arrived, now I need to kind of hang back and hang out with them because I don't want to be criticized by them. And I wonder if you have anybody in your life, come on, you remember when you put your faith in Jesus, you started following Jesus, you surrendered your life to Jesus, and there are just some people in your life that don't understand why you're following Jesus. They don't understand why you're so passionate about the God that you serve. They don't understand, listen, they don't understand why you come to church, because church is a waste of time. They don't understand why, listen, they don't understand why you would set aside a night of the week on a Monday or a Wednesday or a Sunday, and you would go surround yourself with 10 or 15 other people and study the Word of God together in what we would call a grow group, and they just don't get it. They don't get it. But I pray that we would not be people that would succumb to the criticism and how other people might think about us, but that we would continue to be an example and follow Jesus even in the midst of things that might be going on around us. Amen. And Peter, Paul says, I had, to, I had to confront Peter because Peter was going back on what he knew was right. What he knew was the truth of the gospel because there were some other people that arrived and this is something that Paul speaks a little bit more to later on in Galatians, but it's also something he mentions in Ephesians 2, and I love this, Ephesians two fourteen. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. In other words, we are one with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. We are all part of one body, Christ's body. In verse 12, it tells us, man, this is why Peter did this. He was, he was concerned about what these other people were going to think, even though he knew what the truth was. And I wonder if there's any of us who have ever made decisions based on what other people were going to think. I mean, we, we make decisions in our life based on what other people are going to think. And sometimes we face the consequences of those if we buy something because of what somebody else is going to think. Or we start associating with somebody else because of what somebody else is going to think. But my goodness, in your faith, in your walk with Jesus, if there was ever a place for you not to fall into the trap of being worried about what other people are going to think, it is in your walk with Jesus. Because there are going to be some people who just don't get it yet yet. But hopefully by watching your life, they'll eventually surrender their life and they'll experience what you've experienced. Amen? So we have a little insight here into what Peter was thinking when he did what he did and him being worried about the criticism of these others who had just arrived. And as a result, Peter's decision, as a result of Peter's decision, other Jewish Christians are beginning to follow his example and Paul confronts Peter and he basically asks him why he's going back on the truth that he knows to be true. And some of us, we have people in our lives that, that we're going to have to kind of walk this out with. But I want to encourage you today, don't turn your back on your relationship with Jesus because of what other people may think. Don't turn your back on the word of God because of other people's opinions. Don't be ashamed of how you have been taken from darkness to light and don't lean into the opinions of other, but others, but lean into the word of God. What if we became people that were more concerned about what God thought about us than what others think about us? Wouldn't it change the way that we follow Jesus? It, it would just, it would change everything. And Paul, he spoke to this even in, in chapter one, you know, where he said, obviously, I'm not trying to please people. Because if I was trying to do that, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. I've got to follow him. We pick back up in verse 15. He says, you and I are both are Jews by birth. He's still talking to Peter, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Come on, there's a sentence in the Word of God for somebody. No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And here we are reminded that we are made right with God by only one thing, and it's faith in Jesus Christ. Doing all the right things, trying to obey the law, living in legalism, none of these things will ever make you right with God. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. The law, one one commentary said it this way, the law is what proves your guilt and puts on the shackles, but it can never set you free. The law is what says you need Jesus. You could never do all of this. You could never live up to God's standard. So he sent Jesus to take your place and do it all for you so that you could place your faith in him and be made right with God. Paul was reminding them of this, and I want us to be reminded today. And then verses 17 through 19, But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, listen, it condemned me. So I died to the law, I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. As a New Testament believer, a New Testament Christian, right? we live in the new covenant. As a New Testament Christian, we are not called to try to live by the law. And Paul says, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. And we know that Romans, and we're going to read it here in just a moment, but Romans 8, 1 would say there's now, no, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, you can place your faith in him and there's now, there is no more condemnation. He says, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Anybody ever tried to do all the right things and then when you messed up, it was like you beat yourself up for it? Right? The, the, the enemy says, well, you got to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. And then when you don't do it, he's like, see, you messed up again you lost your salvation. You are no longer right with God. You've got to start all over again. He says, when I tried to live that way, it condemned me. So I died to the law and I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Jesus already fulfilled all of the law. Jesus already did everything that needs to be done. I want to read you some verses. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus is speaking. He says, don't misunderstand why I I have come. In other words, don't, don't get it twisted. Here's what I came to do. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit god declared an end to sin's control over you do you know that sin has no more control of you when you place your faith in jesus sin no longer has control of you Some of us choose to live in it. Some of us choose to lean into that, as we'll find out even later, the the works of the flesh compared to the fruit of the Spirit. Some of us choose to live according to the fleshly desires instead of living according to the Spirit. But he says right here, no, you have the ability. You have the ability. Because of the Holy Spirit in you, you have the ability. It's already been fully satisfied. The law has been fully satisfied, and we no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow God the Spirit. Jesus fulfilled the entire law for us. And as the worship team comes back, this is the way that chapter 2 finishes. Verses 20 and 21. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need For Christ to die. Paul says that something that I think we need to grab a hold of today. Here's what I think we need to grab a hold of. We need to crucify our old self and our sinful nature. And here is, I believe that for many of us, the struggle that we face is this. I think this is the tension a lot of times in our lives, okay? We want salvation without dying. We want to go to heaven, but live for ourselves. We want the grace of God, but we do not want to crucify our sinful nature and live according to the Spirit. And Paul says something that we need to grab a hold of today. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. But it is Jesus Christ who lives in me and is living through me. And Paul is so passionate about this truth that he says it three different ways. He says, I've died, I've been crucified, and I no longer live. And I have died. And in case you didn't get that, I've been crucified. And in case that doesn't make sense to you, I no longer live. It is not my sinful nature. It is not me living. It is this life I'm living it is by the power of of the Holy Spirit inside of me. It is Christ living in Amen. me. And too many times we want, we want the promise of heaven. And we want the blessing of God. And we want the peace of God. And we want the grace of God and the mercy of God. But we still want to live for what we want to do in the process. And Paul, I believe, is making the argument, that's not possible. That's not the way it works. You surrender your life to Jesus. And you are able to say, I have been crucified with Christ. I have died. It is no longer I who live, but this life that I live, I now live by Jesus Christ living in me. It's a transforming work inside of us. It changes us from the inside out. I think that this is the significance of water baptism is even this question. If we have died, then how are we still alive? And we died with Christ, but we were raised with Christ. And this is what we're going to celebrate in just a few weeks on Easter weekend is that Jesus died for us, and our sinful nature was nailed to the cross. Like, our sin was nailed to the cross with Him. He took it all. But when He rose from the dead on the third day, it was so we could be raised to life with Him. That's how we live. It's because of what Jesus has done. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Him. And next Sunday, we're going to have water baptism. And I'm, I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart that this is you identifying with an interchange that's already taken place. I am identifying with the fact that I have already, I am identifying with the fact that I have died. I have been crucified. My sinful nature has been buried. And I am raising to new life in Christ. And I am a new creation. I am a new person. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. I want to read this and then we'll end today. It says, Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? I'm going to read the rest of this, but can I ask you a question? Have you died to sin? Paul says, since we have died to sin, that answers the first question. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more grace? Well, His grace will cover it, so I can just live however I want to. And Paul says, why why would you treat the grace of God like that? Why would you treat the grace of God? He says, we have died to sin. How can we continue to live in sin when we have died to it? We've died to sin. Or have you forgotten that when We were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Him. And then he ends chapter 2 with this statement, and this is what I want to finish with. He makes this point. He says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. What does it look like to treat the grace of God as meaningless? It means that I can earn it. And if I can earn it, then Jesus didn't need to do what he did. If I can do enough good things, then Jesus didn't need to do what he did. If I can come to church enough to be saved, Jesus didn't need to do what he did. If I can do enough good things in the community and love on enough people and pay for enough people's groceries and open enough people's car doors and push enough people's buggies back for them and do all of the things that I know what is, is right morally, If that's what gets me there, then Jesus did not need to do what he did. The reason that Jesus needed to come and die for you is because none of those things will make you right with God. None of those things will make you right with God. None of those things will save you. We know from Ephesians that we are not saved by works, but we're saved to do good works. In other words, God has a purpose for your life. And whenever you step into relationship with Jesus, you step into that purpose for your life. And God can now work out in you the purpose that he had planned for you from the beginning of time. But it's not you doing those things that saves you. It's the fact that you are saved that allows you to step into those things. And when you give your life to Jesus, now you have stepped into your purpose. You have stepped into what God has planned in advance for you to do. And now you can live out your purpose and you can live out doing the good works so that others around you will see God living through you. But it's not the works that save you. You could never, ever, ever do enough. Don't treat the grace of God as meaningless or as a license to sin because the grace of God is actually what sets us free to live for Him. It sets us free to live with Him. Will you stand to your feet? I want to end in the same way that we did last week, and I just want to remind you of this because I'm praying that this will get in your heart, that this will get in your life, that this will get in your mind, and it will transform your thoughts. And here's the the statement. It's that what Jesus did for you through his his life, death, burial, and resurrection is enough. And it is the foundation of our faith. And the only way that we are saved is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Come on, this ought to be freeing for you today. I don't have to earn it. He freely gives it. I just have to receive it. But don't we struggle with this? Don't we struggle with feeling like we have to do enough right things to stay in right relationship with God? Like, I've got I've to make sure I do something nice for somebody this week. Otherwise, God's mad at me. He sent Jesus to die for you so that you can be made right with him so that you could step into what he has already planned for you to do, so that you could step into freedom to live for him. And my goodness, I think whenever you place your faith in Jesus, and whenever you get this and you understand the grace of God, and that it's only by grace that I'm saved, and you step into that, it'll lead you to do all the other stuff. As you're following Jesus, you'll just, nat- like, you'll just naturally live this way. I mean, we're going to discover later in Galatians what the fruit of the Spirit is, like what the, the fruit that the Spirit is producing in our lives as a follower of Jesus. You'll just, like all of the things that you've been trying to do to earn salvation, those things will come as a byproduct of you understanding the grace of God in your life. And you stepping into your purpose and stepping into freedom like, wow, I am free to live for Jesus passionately. And because of that, because I'm hearing His voice, because I'm in His Word, I know what He's called me to do, now all of these things are coming out of my life because there's already been an inner transformation that's taken place and that is now manifesting in the things that I do and the things that I say and where I go and how I operate. And Sometimes we just have a tendency to get it backward. But I don't know about you, I'm thankful that it doesn't, come on, we sing this song and we're going to sing it again right here at the end and we're going to pray and and worship to this song. But I love the line that says, I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done, but that it was based on what he did. Come on, that is good news. When the angels showed up and Jesus was born and they came to the shepherds, they said, we have good, there is good news news. It is good news for you and I that Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done so that you can have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. You just have to place your faith in Him. You just have to surrender your life to Him. So as the prayer team comes, I want to pray for you and then we're going to sing this song and worship together and if you need prayer for anything in your life, we invite you to come for prayer. So Lord, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us so much that you would send your son Jesus to lay his life down for us to take our place so that we could have relationship with you so that we could step into our purpose so that we could step into the good things that you've prepared in advance for us to do so that we could step into freedom the freedom to live for you so god i pray that this truth would just penetrate our hearts today lord that we would see things in a new light that you are giving us a new perspective a fresh perspective a freeing perspective to know that you have already accomplished it all you've already done everything that needs to be necessary and lord we just choose today to put our faith and our hope and our trust in you to believe in jesus christ to confess him as lord and savior of our lives and to step into what it is that you have for our lives from this day forward so lord i pray as we sing this song that Lord, we would lift our hands and we would worship you in spirit and in truth. But if there's anybody here today who needs prayer, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person today who needs prayer for anything in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.